Hi, thanks for listening to our sermon podcast, Second on the Mount. I'm George Anderson, minister at Second Presbyterian in Roanoke, Virginia. I do not take it for granted that people sit in the pews on Sunday morning or listen to these podcasts hoping to hear something that connects them to God, to each other, to the world. And so I spend hours seeking the right word for the right time and said in the right way. I welcome your feedback. I encourage your sharing this sermon with anyone it might benefit. And I hope you'll return to this podcast again or come visit us for worship. We'd be happy to have you. Let us pray. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the passage I'm about to read, you'll hear familiar language, A, because it was part of our affirmation of faith early on, but B, there are phrases in this passage that we have heard many times before. But listen to the whole context and listen for the word of God. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the father has sent his son as a savior of the world. God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the Son of God and they abide in God. So we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And those who abide in love abide in God and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God and hate a brother or sister are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. The word of the Lord. I wish a baby was being baptized this morning. On Thursday, while studying the passage that I just read, I found myself wanting to talk about baptism. 
I couldn't save the passage and sermon for February 12 when Abbott Rosemond will be baptized because the bulletin deadline was already passed and Ben is scheduled to preach that day. But I wish the Holy Spirit and family planning had come together and cooperated and there had been a baptism scheduled for today because since Thursday, I've been thinking about infant baptism in a new way. I've been thinking about it as God's smile. Think about what a parent does after a doctor or a nurse or a midwife first places the baby newly born into the parent's arms. Think about what happens when the parent first sets eyes and lays hands on the one who will from that day forth be called that parent's son or that parent's daughter. The parent smiles, maybe through tears, but the parent smiles. And the child doesn't know what that smile means. The son doesn't know. He already has staked a claim in the parent's heart. It means nothing to the daughter that she already has a parent's love. The parent smiles, though, because it's a moment of affection. The parent's heart was ready to affix itself to the child's face and to this child's life. The smile is an expression of love for this child before the child can love in return. And so it goes for a while. With each of our three daughters and then a granddaughter, Millie and I kept smiling at a baby who did not smile back. And with a granddaughter, Virginia joined us. Multiple times a day, each girl had to put up with her view completely completely being taken by one of our faces, making silly cooing noises that meant nothing but meant something at the same time, and see a smile that said nothing but where something was said. ba 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 And those performances were free of charge. The child owed us nothing. But then one day it happens. The baby smiles back. The child's smile is awakened by the parent's smile. With most babies, it takes weeks for this to happen, but with Emory, it only seemed to take a few days. That child is not a prodigy in other ways, but with smiling, she skips some grades. What I'm saying is that the, the parent's smile is what teaches the child how to smile. The parent's love eventually invites the child to love in return. And isn't this what the passage says? Isn't this what infant baptism says? No disrespect to those churches that wait for a buy-in from the child, that want the one baptized to meet God at least some of the way by making some kind of profession of faith. I know how wonderful adult baptisms can be, and to each church their own. But there is something powerful and important and truly glorious about the fundamental truth affirmed in the baptism of a baby whose attention can be grabbed by water being poured into the font or rolling down the face, but has no idea what that water means. Before we love, we are loved. Before we can claim God, God claims us. The passage puts it this way. We love because God first loved us. 
Adult baptism doesn't deny that truth, but adult baptism does what our passage also does and says a bit more about just how far that love will go. Think about adult baptism that we've seen here or the last that you saw here. I think of Mia Copeland's baptism. Hers comes to mind. Now, Mia's baptism is an interesting story. She had not recently come to faith. She already was involved in the church and has been a leader in our church. So her baptism didn't come out of some dramatic experience of someone turning their life over to God after getting to the end of sin's rope. But nevertheless, Mia, like all those who are baptized as adults, were asked this question. Do you accept that you are a sinner saved by the grace of God? And that question reminds us that God's love smiles on us even when we're in whatever spiritual equivalent there is of terrible twos, adolescent rebellion, or those times when parents still love their children after tempers are lost and before apologies are made. The passage speaks of God's love shining in Jesus and then tells us that this love atones for sins. That's not a popular word these days. It's not used very often. We might not understand really what it means, but it basically means doing the work. Jesus did the selfless and sacrificial work of repairing damage done in relationship because he loves still. And then comes the shift in the passage. Jesus does the work for us and then does the work through us. God's smile invites us to smile. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we ought also to love, the passage says. Yes, love God in return, but that means loving others, for loving God means nothing the passage says, without loving others. We are smiled upon so we will learn to smile. We are loved so we will then know how to love. That's what the passage says, and that's what infant baptism tells us. It begins with God first loved us. Whit Ashburn didn't understand why water was dripping down his head, but the truth of God's love was proclaimed when water dripped down his head. Camden Brannan didn't know what was being said when Ben and Valerie said, we do, and the congregation said, we do, and we will. He did not understand that promises were being made to raise him to eventually know the truth of God's love so he can learn to love rightly. Maddox Keslowski didn't understand why kids dress like John the Baptist, Mary, Joseph, a wise man, and an angel, and what they were talking about when they were talking or what they were saying. But as I said on Christmas Eve, if Maddox's parents and this congregation keep their promises, he'll grow to get it. He will grow to get it because while he cannot directly see God smiling, he can see God smiling through others. He will see God smile in his parents praying with him and teaching him and better yet, showing him the habits of kindness and respect. He will see God smile and being part of a community of God worshipers and Jesus followers, being part of a congregation that not only teaches him, but shows him in what it's like to worship, learn and serve together. 
And these habits of faith will be like the habits of athletes in that by their practice, he'll have a real chance in becoming what he practices. He will grow up and have a real chance at learning how to love others as he has been loved and thus become a way that God smiles in the world. I'll tell you what inspired these thoughts on Thursday. While studying our passage, I was reading the wonderful book that Reverend Ernie Thompson recommended at this year's Trenton Getaway Retreat. In You Are What You Love, The Spiritual Power of Habit, James Smith says this of our passage. He first loved us is the provoking smile of a creator who meets us in the flesh granting even the grace that allows us to love him in return. Smith then quotes a Swiss theologian who said, just as no child can be awakened to love without first being loved, so too no human heart can come to an understanding of God without the free gift of God's grace. And then Smith goes on to make the critically important point that our passage makes that while we can take God's love for granted, we cannot take for granted that the child will smile back. Our hearts are going to love. They're wired to love. They need objects of their devotion. John Calvin put it this way, our hearts are idol factories, and he's right. He's right even about the hearts of those who do not believe in God because hearts are going to adhere to something if life is going to make any sense at all. Whatever it is, whether it's power for power's sake, kindness for kindness sake, money for money's sake, sex for the sake of sex, justice for the sake of justice, a high for the sake of a high, selfishness for the sake of the self, our hearts seek devotions our hearts seek idols because we're going to love something we're going to place devotions hearts will love but that does not mean that they will love what god loves that does not mean that they will love justice and mercy that they will love compassion and kindness that they will love seeing others besides themselves flourish in life, or that they'll understand how beautiful it is when enemies reconcile. The trick is to put ourselves into a position where we might see the smile that provokes the same sort of smile in return. We need to habitually put ourselves in places where we learn, see, and practice what this love is like. We worship over and over again so that we can truly come to love the one we worship. We return to the stories of faith again and again until they become the stories that we live. We practice selfless acts till we learn how to be selfless. We act with kindness until we learn how to be kind. We practice apologies until we mean them. And we practice forgiving until we become forgiving people. Parents who want to raise good children, kind children, they want this to happen at home. They want their children to grow up in a household of acceptance and support 
They want their children to know that they have a place to come home to even when they have done something embarrassing, failed at something, done something wrong. But sometimes those who lead families are so good at this that they trick themselves into believing that the family is all that the child needs. Even though their children eventually will leave home, even though children will let others in their life who they may not love as much as their parents, but who they listen to a lot, who they're influenced by a lot, even though parents may someday themselves at the end of life become like children again, who can receive the smile but no longer can show it. Even though life inevitably is lived in communities that are bigger than families, communities that can do far more damage and far more good than families ever can. God needs more than families. God needs communities that know how to love God and love others as God has loved us and thus communities that seek to bring about justice and to show kindness and address violence and protect those or at least speak for those who cannot protect themselves. Because that's the point about God's love, the passage said. God's love for us can be counted on because God's love can be counted on, there is nothing to fear. But we don't know God's love that casts out fear until we learn to love as God loves us. For the wonderful affirmation of our passage comes with the harsh reminder that even if we say we love God who loves us, but do not show that love toward others, then our faith is in vain. Those who say, I love God, and then hate are liars is the harsh way the passage puts it. I would add that churches that proclaim God's love but practice hate are telling their own kind of lie, and the world doesn't need lies in the name of God. The world needs God's love and all the justice and reconciliation that is God's love, or the world is lost. So shall we not put ourselves in a position where we can recognize God's smile? Let's put ourselves in places where habits can reveal God's smile, where we regularly worship the intended object of our heart's desire, where we regularly hear and tell the stories of God among us, where we regularly practice the kindness and compassion and service of others that so make the body of Christ become God's smile in the world. And let's remember that we do so with a purpose, that we be those who love as God loves us, that we can be in the world in a way that Jesus was in the world, and thus be a community that smiles in the world by making a witness to what is good and right and decent. Let us practice the habits of love so that we can learn what we practice. And maybe by loving what we practice, we might even become God's love in the world. 
Second Presbyterian, finding direction by following Jesus.